beauty and skincare is always a hot topic around here, and today I want to tell you about a new product line I've discovered that I think you will like, Exponent Beauty. Listeners of the show will receive 20% off their purchase. More details on that in a minute. Exponent Beauty is a skincare brand with a line of activated anti-aging serums that are clinically proven to reduce fine lines and wrinkles. The beauty of Exponent Beauty is their innovative form factor. The powders are activated with a quadruple hyaluronic acid serum in their patented precision-dosed dispenser. The packaging is gorgeous, and the dispenser itself is refillable, so it has also reduced plastic waste. Exponent Beauty's line of serums can be found in med spas and spas and dermatologists' office around the country. The line is dermatologist-recommended and clinically proven to reduce those fine lines and wrinkles, and to increase brightness and radiance, and to firm skin without irritation. No more expired or underutilized products with Exponent Beauty, just high-quality skincare with ingredients that work. Go to ExponentBeauty.com and use code TELL20 for 20% off a purchase of $100 or more. That's Exponent, E-X-P-O-N-E-N-T, Beauty, B-E-A-U-T-Y.com and use code TELL20, T-E-L-L, the numbers two zero for 20% off your purchase of $100 or more. to tell you. And you have 10 things to tell. This show is about connection with each other and with ourselves. And the hope is that the things we talk about here will be fuel for better conversations and a personal awareness. This is an interactive podcast. Each episode has a prompt and a topic that I want you to take to your journal, text to your best friend, or answer on social media using the hashtag 10 things to tell you. This is a show about digging deeper and sharing our stuff. I'll go first. The Secret Stuff Book Club is closing out September with a second meeting on the nonfiction book, The Happiness Equation by Neil Pasricha. And we are about to kick off an October book club selection of The Art of Gathering by Priya Parker. I chose this one because there is so much amazingness to take in in this book, The Art of Gathering. But as the world opens back up a little, as we are actually gathering once again, especially before the holidays hit, I felt like this would be the perfect choice for us to learn how to gather better. It's just a beautiful book and we are reading it together in the Secret Stuff Book Club, which is held over on my Patreon. If you sign up for my Secret Stuff Patreon, you get all of the Secret Stuff content, including the book club, including bonus episodes of this show, and then also personal episodes with the topics and things that I never share anywhere else. Those live over on Secret Stuff. If you'd like to join us for the book club and all the other goodies, I would love to have you. Go to 10thingstotellyou.com slash secret stuff to sign up. So about a month ago, I had kind of a mini breakdown. And I do not use those words lightly or flippantly. I really hit a real bottom that affected my life, affected my family. It was about a week. It ended up being about a week of just a real, real low. That came out in a few ways. I cried a lot. (laughs) I alternated a little bit between kind of full-blown panic or also like struggling to make myself get out of bed. And normally, you know, normally I wouldn't talk about this kind of an episode so close to it. This was the last week of August, beginning of September. And normally I would, you know, give myself 
at least several months to really process it and get healthy and be able to share it. But the reason I feel comfortable talking about it with you now and sharing it is because it wasn't the beginning of my struggles. It was actually an end almost, like the bottom of a long few months of some real spiraling. And there were a lot of factors, I think, for why I really kind of fell apart. I think there was some natural, you know, mental health anxiety delay after the high of releasing my book in February and the workload of that and then sort of coming to a crash in the spring, except I really didn't have time to come to a crash because we moved. After 11 years, we moved houses. It was a clearly enormous task, both logistically and emotionally. I also battled some real health stuff, which I've shared a little bit about. But I had an ongoing infection that really took me down for like eight weeks in the spring and early summer. There was just a lot, a lot happening. And so when I got to the end of the summer, end of August, after a good six months of really white knuckling it emotionally and just trying to get through thinking that the next week or the next month was going to be better and that I was just on the cusp of really like pulling it together. And then this particular week when I did not pull it together, I'm the opposite. In fact, a few things happened that I had no control over that were completely outside of me. One, for COVID reasons, my kid was not able to start school in person the week that he was supposed to. He is back now, but the fourth grade at our school was forced to go virtual for the first few days of school, and it felt at that moment such a looming, ominous sign that maybe we would be virtual for the rest of the year, and that was hard to swallow, and that is not, in fact, playing out at all, but this is how it felt in the moment. And then also Jeff's movie that he's been working on for, you know, two years now. It was supposed to come out in October. We had oriented our whole family fall life around this movie release on so many levels. It is, you know, almost like a wedding, not as intense as a wedding. But, you know, we really had planned a lot of things, a lot of our schedule and family stuff. And just all of these things were really oriented around Jeff having a movie coming out in October, and it got bumped to the beginning of 2022, along with all the other movies, big movies from the studio. They all bumped to the beginning of 2022, which was the right decision. But in terms of, like I said, our whole kind of family plan for the fall, including my own work life, including the rhythm of writing my next book and how I had planned that out and whatever, that was all completely reshuffled like so many things have been in COVID. And just a lot of these things together all came together in a result of me really experiencing a bottom of sorts. And I feel like I'm not the only one. I'm sharing this, in fact, because I know I'm not the only one. A lot of us have really held it together and put a positive face on the pandemic for our children and for our own sanity and just, you know, tried to really make the best of a lot of hard situations. And it's been a long 18 months. People are coming to the end of their rope. People are starting to realize that normal, what is normal is a changing and evolving definition. And just one can only go so long until they snap. And so I snapped. And I know from my social media feeds that maybe the last couple of months have been rocky for some of you too. I know, you know, kind of ebbs and flows of how we're all able to deal with the world right now. And what I'm talking about is an ebb. And so after I went through, you know, a lot of emotions and giving myself grace and sort of letting myself feel my feelings and all the things that I constantly preach. It was still really a sucky little bit. But what happened is after I sort of came through the worst of it, I did something I have never done in the past. 
So in the past, I've had hard times. In the past, I've had very difficult downward spirals. I've had mental health stuff that it's gone on for years that I've talked about. Like, I, you know, not that this is any sort of a mental health competition in any way, but we've all had varying degrees of meltdowns. And what happened to me after this was not an approach I had ever taken before. Because this was sort of the end, well, I don't want to say the end because I feel like, you know, we're all still muddying through, but because it was a culmination of a long period of having a hard time versus the beginning of the struggle bus when you are just doing the best you can, surviving, not thriving, because to me it was like sort of an end of my rope sort of situation, when I finally was able to look up. I sort of employed one of my things that I always do, which is ask myself, what would you tell you to do? I know that's a complicated phrase. I have a whole episode about this. And I really believe that we know best. We know our own answers. We can look inside of ourselves and fairly well identify the next right thing. And so when I am feeling like I don't, know what to do or that I need a lot of outside counsel or something like that, I will ask myself, what would you tell you to do? And in that moment, what I would tell myself to do is pull out every tool in my belt to get out of this hole. And I've never done this before. I have had to baby step my way out of holes. I've had to crawl out of dark nights of the soul. For this moment, in this light bulb moment, I realized that I wanted to and had the ability to call upon others to help me. So here's who I called. I called my therapist. I called an acupuncturist. I called a business coach. Never done that before. I called a masseuse. I called an intuitive reader. I know, listen, this is California. Don't judge. (laughs) I called friends. I sat down with my husband. I talked to my mastermind. I did a FaceTime with one of my oldest friends in the world. I spent a week to 10 days after I lifted my head up from the rock bottom. I spent like a week to 10 days asking for help and receiving it, frankly. Now, this is different and it feels different than asking for outside counsel or seeking a lot outside yourself when you really already know the answer. When you do that, you can get really muddled. When you put too many voices, too many chefs in the kitchen, like all the metaphors, when you get too many outside opinions about your life or your decisions, it will paralyze you and it will confuse you even further. But that's not where I was. This was me saying, I actually need help. Can you help me? Not your opinion, but like in the case of the professionals that I called, I needed their expertise. I needed some true business advice on a subject that I didn't know the answer to. Like I needed to be educated on a few things. I needed the acupuncturist to use his skills and talents to work on my body. Same with the masseuse. Same with my Pilates instructor, which I forgot to mention. I went to Pilates, into the Pilates studio, for the first time since March 2020. So for 18 months, a practice that really had kept me grounded for years. I've talked a lot about when I started Pilates, I couldn't do a single sit up and it basically changed my life. But I hadn't gone because of the pandemic in 18 months. That was one of the first calls I made when I realized how desperately out of sync I was, like spiritually, emotionally. Needing to work with my body was one of the first things that I reached out for. And I can't do that alone. I mean, I guess I could, but like it was better for me to call a professional and let her help me. And so what I'm saying to you is there's a difference between 
asking too many people their opinions until you aren't sure what your own opinion is anymore. You're having too many competing thoughts in your head versus reaching out to people who are genuinely helping you or in the case of like my therapist or my mastermind or my old friend, helping me figure out some things for myself, not giving me opinions, but just reminding me of who I am, reminding me of my priorities. That's the difference I'm trying to describe here. Now, are several of these things I mentioned like expensive and not for everybody? I mean, I don't expect everybody to call an intuitive reader, which by the way, that appointment was probably the least effective of all of the help that I enlisted. However, in that moment, I was willing to make all the calls, use all the tools that I had in my belt. And so that was one of them. And I know as I'm explaining to you what I did after I hit a real spiral moment, I know that not everybody can or will or want to use those same tools. But if this resonates, or if this is something you can hold in your pocket for the future, to know that when the time comes, you use your own tools, whoever it is on the receiving end of your call for help, don't be afraid to ask for it. And I think that was part of the reason that I got in such a bad way was I just kept thinking it was just about to get better. And if I could just grin and bear it for one more week or month or whatever, that it was a ship that would really right itself. But that just wasn't happening. And I give myself the grace for doing the best I could in the moment, in the times when I was just sort of making it through. And then I give myself a high five for when I got to a place where I was ready to make those calls for help, that I actually did it. So it's been about a month of me kind of putting some pieces back together. A few of the things I did right away helped me feel physically better, which in turn gave some clarity and some space to my mind. So I do think the acupuncture was very helpful. I know that going to Pilates was very helpful. Like doing a few physical things, adjustments with my body, was of course very helpful when it came to working through the things of my mental and emotional state and my spirit. And then talking to my mastermind, talking to my business coach, some of those other outside perspectives really helped me come to some decisions around my time management, around my work life right now and taking on book two and all of these other things. So I wanted to share all of that as just kind of background of where I've been a little bit emotionally and kind of where this episode is coming from. The last few years, I have done a little bit of a social media challenge and an episode around the idea of ask me in three months. And it always coincides or it has so far with these last three months of the year, October, November, December, which of course is full of a lot of holidays. And to me, this last stretch of the calendar year always feels, you know, it's like a whole different ballgame, pun intended, from the rest of the year. And I also feel like if we want to finish strong, I'm very big on finishing strong, finishing well, if we want to finish our year strong, that if we set a few goals, or maybe just one, one thing, that we can say, ask me in three months how this is going, or if this got done, etc., Now is sort of the time of year to do that. And then we can check back in with one another in the beginning of January, in the beginning of the next year. So sort of a great time for that idea, this ask me in three months idea. And so for me, sharing that I had a really hard time at the end of the summer, but that I'm making some changes that I'm really hopeful are going to last and that in three months at the beginning of next year, You can ask me, like, how are those things going? Remember when you made some habit changes in the fall? That's where kind of all of this is coming from. 
with sunshine, outdoor activities, and so many fun things to do outside, it is impossible not to enjoy all of these good weather days up ahead. Of course, we all know that more sun and fun means more sweating, and yes, more odor. That's why I'm excited to tell you about Lumi. Lumi is the first of its kind in the full body deodorant world and is seriously safe to use on any and every part of your body. It was created by an OBGYN who saw firsthand how regular body odor was being misdiagnosed and mistreated. I especially love that Lumi deodorant is baking soda and paraben free. It is also pH balanced for safe use on all areas of your body. You can choose from a variety of fresh scents like clean tangerine, lavender sage, and toasted coconut. Lumi's starter pack is perfect for new customers. It comes with a solid stick deodorant, cream tube deodorant, two free products of your choice, like a mini body wash or deodorant wipes, and free shipping. As a special offer for listeners, new customers get $5 off a Lumi starter pack with code U at lumideodorant.com. That equates to 40% off your starter pack when you visit Lumi, L-U-M-E, deodorant, D-E-O-D-O-R-A-N-T, Dot com and use code U, Y-O-U. Y'all know that I love to play games on my phone to unwind, and I am always looking for a new one to download. And I recently ran across Two Dots, and I want to tell you about it. Two Dots is a free-to-download, puzzle-based game that involves connecting dots through relaxing puzzles while unlocking levels and collecting prizes along the way. There are different gameplay modes to make the experience unique and exciting with every single puzzle. There are over 5,000 distinct puzzles with various power-ups and special dots ready to earn as you move through the levels. The in-app music and visually stimulating interface provide a soothing experience when you just want to relax and unwind. Not only is Two Dots free to download, but it can also be played without internet connection. So playing on the go offline is a breeze. And if you don't want to play alone, you can challenge your friends on Facebook, as well as connect with the larger Two Dots community for even more engagement. If you're looking for the perfect game to help you relax, but also keep you engaged, download Two Dots for free on Android and iOS. Okay, so let's start with the first one. I am calling this Less Liquids. <laughs> it's kind of a silly name, which actually very accurate to what's happening in my life right now. I am consuming less liquids. <laughs> Here's what I mean by that. I looked up in July and felt like my Dr. Pepper consumption was all the way out of control. Now, I joke pretty often that like there are worse vices to have than being addicted to soft drinks, but I know that it's bad for me. Like I know. Feel free to not message me with how bad it is for me. I know. I get it. But in terms of coping mechanisms, it felt like not the worst thing in the world, all things considered. However, going through this stressful time over the last six months, I had been pounding Dr. Pepper as a comfort food, as a coping mechanism when I was stressed. And it it had gotten out of control. It was way, way, way too much. I just could feel it. I needed to like rein it all the way in. The other thing that had gotten out of control, and I've talked about this on the show a little bit, but was alcohol. Before 2020, Jeff and I, my husband and I, barely drank at home. I mean, he might have a beer while he was watching the game. I might have a glass of wine every now and again at home. But we mostly drank in social settings and when we were out to dinner at a nicer restaurant. And that felt like, you know, a healthy amount of alcohol consumption. Well, enter pandemic time. And suddenly, we were having alcohol almost every single night at home. In the, our initial lockdown here in LA, Jeff got into this little hobby of making like really fun cocktails, which was a great way to distract ourselves in those early days. They tasted good. He got really into it. It was like a fun little pastime. We started having regular happy hour Zooms with friends or whatever. Like it started to just feel like the only thing to look forward to in the day was that, you know, kind of evening fun little cocktail moment or 
I started drinking wine regularly if I wasn't having cocktail. I don't even really like wine that much. Like it just became sort of this thing to do. And I know this was happening in households across the nation. It was an incredibly stressful time. And we were all stuck in our homes. And like, like it just sort of happened in kind of a natural way, which would have been a lot more understandable, but for the fact that a year in, this was still a regular occurrence. And I could justify it about 10 different ways. But the fact was, it was really affecting how I felt. And I just started to notice it more and more that I didn't like the way I felt when I woke up in the morning, puffy, mild headache, dehydrated. I wasn't even really enjoying it in the evening when I would have the drink as much as I would have before. It sort of just felt like a regular thing instead of like a special treat. Like I just, all parts of it, I started to realize like, I don't, this is not how I want the rhythm of my day to go. This has become a habit that I don't even care about. Like at least the Dr. Pepper habit. Like I take so much joy in my Dr. Pepper and I really like it. And I still needed to get control over it. The alcohol had long ago served any sort of purpose. Like I didn't, it wasn't worth it to me. I didn't like any part of it anymore. It was such a bad habit without any like perks really. So a while ago, again, this was before my meltdown in like July, I decided that I was really only going to drink back to my old rhythms. I was only going to drink as a social thing with friends, which I do enjoy that sort of part of it in moderation. And then if we were out at a nice dinner, at a nice dinner, I do, you know, love a fancy specialty cocktail thing at restaurants. I just think that's a fun part of the dining out experience. Well, because we're not going out or seeing friends as much as we used to, I mean, maybe like two times a month total, I really started to notice that difference. Not right away. I mean, I feel like it takes a while to kind of get all of that out of your system. But definitely, I started to feel a big difference in about a month or a little bit less than a month. In fact, my Pilates instructor, as I was telling her all of this, she even made the connection that Because my meltdown, although it was sort of circumstantial, but it did come about a month after I had stopped drinking very much, she made the connection that, you know, possibly I wasn't numbing myself so much anymore. Maybe I was actually starting to feel things. And that's what contributed to really having a spiral moment is because I was really letting myself feel my feelings by eliminating some of my coping mechanisms, less Dr. Pepper, less alcohol, not eliminating either of those things. I was still having those things in moderation, but drastically cutting way back was taking away some of my numbing. And when I was really there to feel myself, it felt bad. I had a lot of emotion. And I don't know, maybe there is a correlation there. Lastly, in my less liquids (laughs) habit tip is I changed my morning coffee situation. Now, I am not an expert on this part. I don't even feel like I can say too much about it because I don't like coffee. And yet I drink coffee every single morning. But I think if you really care a lot about coffee, the way I care about Dr. Weber, then then this might not apply to you. But I'm going to say it anyway because it actually has also made a difference that I have very much felt in the same way the other two things did. But because I don't really love coffee... But I love the ritual of coffee in the morning, and I especially love the caffeine in the morning. I put a lot of cream and sugar in my coffee to make the taste more tolerable. I started drinking coffee when I had newborns, when I had babies, and I was, you know, having sleepless nights and wanted a shot of caffeine in the morning. And Jeff's a big coffee drinker. He enjoys coffee. And so I just started drinking coffee along with him. 10 plus years ago. No need to tell me to try tea. I've tried it. I don't like tea either. The only thing I like about these things is that they're warm in the morning and it's like a cozy thing and I like coffee cups and I like the smell and it's just a nice 
morning thing that a lot of us like, but I don't actually like the coffee. So to mask the actual coffee, I was putting a ton of gross processed creamer and sugar in my coffee. And slowly, by paying a lot of attention to my body, I was realizing what everybody else already knows. But having that much sugar to start your day, it makes you hungrier. It makes you snackier. It was making me ravenous before lunch. And so I just started thinking, well, what if I didn't have coffee at all? Or hang with me after my whole speech about making it tolerable. What if I tried black coffee with just a little bit of sweetener, no creamer? I'm just going to try. There's, I'm a grown-up. I can try things. There's no rules that says I have to have coffee at all. There are no rules about what I put in it. Like, why can't I just try and see what my body responds to? And lo and behold, I did not hate the taste of black coffee the way I thought I did or when I started drinking coffee 10 plus years ago. And it, I must have tried it black at some point back then, decided I hated it, started dumping in all this creamer and really hadn't examined that choice again until now. And so I have been most days of the week, especially on weekdays, if I have coffee at all, having it without all the cream and sugar. And this has made a big difference. I'm not starving hungry by 10 in the morning. I feel like it's really evened out some appetite stuff, some craving stuff. There's just like less up and down in my day. Like there's not like a sugar crash. And some days I'm not having anything at all, which is why it falls into the less liquids part of this. Now, I'm not trying to take away your precious coffee. I am not trying to take away your cocktails or your soda habit because these are all things that I have enjoyed. I understand how we got here. This change might not be for everyone. But for me, completely changing up my liquid situation, which means I've been drinking more water. I've tried some things in the afternoon, like instead of Dr. Pepper, I've been trying like maybe a little bit of juice. I've been making some iced tea like my mama used to when I was growing up. I mean, it's almost just like I got into these habits of the things that I like to drink and never rethought them until suddenly I rethought all of them. And realized that it was primarily the liquids that I was taking in that was sending me on a blood sugar roller coaster. So take from that what you will. That's my number one thing I'm changing. Less liquids on the whole. So numbers two and three here of the three things that I am trying to change are newer Like they're things that I've only been doing in the last month. And so I do like sharing this kind of in process evolution or like things that I'm trying or whatever, but I'm not absolutely swearing how life-changing they are in the same way that less liquids have been. But they've both been really helpful to me in my state of mind right now when I am feeling overwhelmed, when I am trying to get a better grasp on my work-life balance and taking care of myself in the best way, not in like a trite way and not in a cheesy way, but like actually really trying to care for myself. These things have been very helpful for me in the last couple of months. So number two of the three habits I'm trying to change is a little bit all-encompassing, but I'm calling it monotasking, a sort of an umbrella for a few different things that I'm doing. Monotasking is, of course, the opposite of multitasking. And it is so much harder than you think it's going to be when you commit to it. Monotasking for me has been an extension of mindfulness. So I've talked to you before about when I'm having a lot of anxiety Or when I'm just trying to be centered, even if there's nothing wrong, but I'm just trying to be grounded and centered in myself, that I practice a lot of mindfulness where I'm like very aware of what my feet feel like walking on the ground 
what it feels like when I'm washing a dish, rinsing a cup, like feeling the water on my hands, like just being very, very present, moving slower instead of like, you know, rushing around doing this, putting the dishes up, packing the lunch bag, rushing out the door, like trying to physically move slower, like one step at a time when I'm walking down the steps. These are all ways that I incorporate mindfulness when I need to slow down, when I need to be grounded. Monotasking is in the same vein, even if you're not like purposely moving slower or being ultra mindful about it, but only doing one thing at a time. (laughs) You don't even realize how much you multitask until you force yourself not to. To truly do only one thing at a time, you're Your brain almost short circuits, or at least mine does. It is so used to moving so fast and thinking three steps ahead of what you're doing now, but what you're going to do next and what you're going to do in the next 10 minutes, 10 hours, whatever. Your brain is constantly doing this. And when you force yourself to monotask, you almost feel like you're behind or you almost feel like you're not getting everything done that you're supposed to be doing or supposed to be getting done in this time frame because you're used to multitasking. But really, what sort of ends up happening, or at least for me, is that what you are doing, you're doing better, more thoughtfully. Sometimes it takes less time if you're only doing one thing at a time instead of trying to do 10 things at a time. You can do a task in 20 minutes that when you were multitasking would have taken you 45. For example, going to the grocery store, if I am in the grocery store, I am also multitasking. Like I'm putting things in my basket, but I'm often like responding to texts. Maybe I'm listening to a podcast. Maybe I pull up a recipe that I saw to like see what the ingredients are. So my brain is constantly task switching between what I'm doing on my phone, what's in my earbuds, what's in the aisle on the shelf in front of me, what's in my basket, et cetera, et cetera. Like it will take me easily 45 minutes in the grocery store. And I think that's like a normal amount of time for that errand. But if I monotask it where I like turn my phone off, like I'm only in the grocery store now, I get in and out of there faster. So it is saving me time in a way that I think that it's not. Now, not always. It's not always about saving time or not. It's not always about efficiency, But it is about feeling like less scattered, less in a hurry, less urgency, less feeling like I'm missing out because I'm in the grocery store and not at home answering emails. I'm standing in the aisle answering an email, but like some part of me wishes that I was at home in front of my computer answering this email, but I'm here now in the aisle, so I'm just going to answer it. My brain is all over the place and it's this way all day. every day. So it's no wonder I get to the end of the day and I feel ultra tired, like I let somebody down along the way. I definitely didn't do my best possible email response or grocery shopping while trying to do both at the same time. Like I didn't do either of those things perfectly and I feel that. And compound that with every other thing you're doing during the day and monotasking makes you feel like a slug. It makes you feel like you're, you know, (laughs) not using all of your brain power or something. But if you do it for like a few days, I challenge you to just try it. Start with one day and be like, I'm just going to do one thing at a time and see how it makes you feel and see if you literally got less or more or the same amount done, how satisfying that feels or doesn't feel, and then how you felt at the end of the day, if you felt more centered, if you felt more present, or if the very fact of it made you feel like super frazzled. For me, I felt frazzled at first because I felt like I wasn't doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And then I settled into it and I'm like, no, this is better. This feels better. And there's a few exceptions that I've made. I am letting myself listen to podcasts or audiobooks when I drive And then when I'm doing some things like cleaning or organizing or whatever. But I don't need to be listening to something at all times. I don't need to have the constant hum of noise in the background. I've been very deliberate about when I am choosing to have a podcast on and when maybe I want to get ready and put my makeup on in complete silence and let my brain work out whatever it's going to think about, pay a lot of attention to actually putting on my makeup instead of sort of being on autopilot about it, forcing myself 
to complete the task in front of me because I am so guilty of cleaning up after dinner, let's say, and then getting a message from a friend, a Voxer message or something, and I go in the other room to respond to it. And then I, you know, get kind of off track. And then I'm like, oh, there's a book sitting here. And then I pick up this book. I'm like, shoot, I'm supposed to do a social media post about this book. So then I start to take a good picture for Instagram, like all that. And then think of all the things that I didn't actually finish. I didn't finish cleaning up the kitchen after dinner. I am still in like an ongoing conversation with a friend on Voxer that I just, you know, I replied to them, but like it's an ongoing thing. So there's a never that loop closed. And then now I'm like halfway in between posting something on social. I mean, just me describing it is like giving me anxiety that this is how I live all the time. Like with things three-fourths of the way done, not all the way completed because I got distracted and started something else. I mean, I have been Googling like adult ADD and following some people online who actually talk about this because I've wondered if this is me. I've been feeling so unmoored and I'm not making any sort of medical diagnosis or assessment or anything on this episode. I'm just explaining why I and why a lot of us feel so frazzled. And I think that's a lot for the same reasons. I don't think I'm the only one. So anyway, back to monotasking. I have been trying to make myself monotask and it feels so different. Like I'm also used to when I'm in front of my computer, which is, you know, five hours a day or something, like I spend a chunk of time every single day in front of my computer. I always have like 15 tabs open, like always. An article I want to check later. Uh, I keep my like Google Cal open. I keep my email window open. I have a shopping website open with a few things in my cart, but I wasn't quite ready to pull the trigger. So I just like leave it open. Does this sound familiar? Like I always have a bunch of tabs open, but having the tabs open are also keeping the tabs open in my brain all the time. Now, sometimes for work, I do like literally, like most of us have to have a few tabs open for whatever it is that I'm doing. But when I force myself to actually monotask and not leave those tabs open, literally or metaphorically, I feel like I can breathe a little bit better. Like if I'm on a shopping website and I add some things to my cart, but I'm not ready to pull the trigger yet, I need to make that decision while the tab's open. Or I need to close it and think about it and come back later. Maybe make a note of what I wanted to buy and see if I still want to buy it a couple days later. But just leaving it there, hanging out among all the tabs, like it just doesn't ever let me close any loops. And then even after I do, let's say I do read the article that has been sitting up that I clicked through on from Facebook days ago, and it's just been sitting open as a tab. I haven't actually read the article. Once I finally do and I close out that tab, I don't know, did it matter that I kept it up there for a few days? Maybe it was compelling enough that I then share that article. But most of the time, nine times out of 10, it's not. If I wasn't interested enough to read the thing right away when I clicked on it, it might not be that interesting. Also, I have a file, I have a folder that I can bookmark it of things to come back and read later if I really want to. But I've been trying to make myself, if I click through to an article on Twitter or Facebook or wherever, I need to read it right then. At least skim it. Save it if I need to. Exit out if I don't. Instead of just keeping all of these tabs open all the time, all of these loops unclosed, all of these conversations ongoing. Sometimes ongoing conversations are beautiful. Text threads with your friends, Voxer messages with people you love. I mean, I love connecting. I, like, I love that our phones allow us to connect in this time. But I've also found that having just an ongoing, never-ending thing, just like how scrolling on our social media feeds, they never end. We never get to the end. It just being an infinity scroll, an infinity conversation, nothing ever closes it makes me feel insane after a while. When I am in this kind of place of overwhelm, that's one of the things that doesn't help. And so back to monotasking, which is like the big habit tip we're talking about, I can open up Instagram and scroll. I enjoy Instagram. I think it's fun. 
But I've been trying not to just leave it open all the time. I close it out so that when it's a dedicated time, I have a few minutes to sit down and scroll. It's not mindless. It's a little bit more like, okay, and now's my scrolling time for a few minutes. Same with email. I've complained for years and years that I drown in email. Email and texts are the bane of my existence, even though I'm very grateful for them. But email is the worst for me. And so I've been trying not to keep my email app on my desktop open all the time. I see emails come in that way. I just see the unreads, but then I never really deal with them. Like it just is a bad habit for me. So for now, I've only been pulling up my email app when I'm like, okay, and now I'm going to answer emails. I know that's not always realistic. Sometimes you have to check if a certain message came in. Sometimes you have to check for some information that's in your email inbox. Like I understand all the exceptions. But if on the whole, you're meaningfully checking email when it's time to check email, scrolling when you have a few minutes to scroll, or reading an article that caught your attention that you clicked on, instead of just having all those things open, waiting for you, sort of shouting at you digitally all the time, it's just so helpful. And monotasking isn't only about digital. I already gave the grocery store example, but it's true in my real life too, like in my physical life, not digital life. Like I will be brushing my teeth and removing my eye makeup at like kind of the same time. Like I have a cotton pad on my eye and my other hand's brushing my teeth and you know, maybe that would be like efficient if I had, you know, one minute to get out the door or something. But most of the time I'm not running at that sort of level. I have enough time to do one task at a time, even if it makes me feel slow or irresponsible at first until I trained my brain to be like, no, I have time to properly get ready for bed and take off my makeup and brush my teeth. Like I have enough time. That has been my mantra lately, and something that I know I have said before, but it really bears repeating in in the midst of all this, so much of my anxiety, so much of my frazzle and overwhelm comes from this idea that I don't have time, that I'm running behind. And so if I repeat to myself, I have enough time, even if I am running late, let's say, even if I'm working on a deadline and that deadline is soon. When I tell myself, I have enough time, I'm going to be okay, there is enough time, just the words themselves, like I feel like bring my heart rate down, let me finish doing what I'm doing in order not to be late, in order to meet my deadline, in order to not feel like I'm missing out on all the carpe diem of life because the I have enough time is bone deep as part of a fear that I don't have enough time. Time is going to run out on life. And to live like that constantly is just exhausting. And so when I say, and I've just added this to my affirmations in the morning, and I've said it to myself when I need it, I have enough time. It's true. I do. And so I want you to think of that the next time you're running around, multitasking, late for something. Just stop. Do one thing at a time and remind yourself, I have enough time. It's not every day that you find a product that you truly love and want to shout about from the rooftops. Well, friends, I have found something that I am genuinely excited to share with you today, and that is Born Shoes. Born Shoes are made with the best top quality leather with functional stitching and flexibility. They are lightweight, but they're also supportive. They are great for all casual occasions, extremely comfortable, and especially good for travel. The brand recently gifted me a pair of the Ithaca style sandals. Of course, they are beautiful. The footbed has extra foam for added comfort and with a slight heel for lift. I am positive that I could walk all over London in this pair of shoes, just like I did in my Born Sandals last summer. Born Shoes offers sandals, flats, boots, and heels in several styles and color choices. Take comfort in Born Shoes. Every season, they make high-quality shoes that feel as good as they look. With artistic touches, unparalleled craftsmanship, and exquisite materials, Born designs shoes to satisfy the demands of every lifestyle. Go to bornshoes.com for a 15% discount plus free ground shipping on all full-price shoes when you use my promo code TELL. That's born, B-O-R-N, shoes, S-H-O-E-S, 
com and use promo code TELL, T-E-L-L, for 15% off and free shipping, available exclusively to our listeners for a limited time. Okay, lastly, my third tip of the three tips that I'm changing. This one, it honestly, it almost seems juvenile when I say it. Because this is a little bit like working 101 or some kind of thing. And it all kind of flows with number two a little bit, but this has made a difference to my day. The number three tip is an end of day close down. So one of the biggest struggles being a work from home mom is that I'm never not at work. Never. Like my work, meaning my computer, my little office space in my closet in the new house, my work is always available to me. I can run in here and check an email. I have 15 minutes so I can plan out a quick social media thing. And because it's supposed to be a bonus that you're at home, I can be, you know, momming one minute and being an author, podcaster, the next minute. I can do these things simultaneously, so they say. It's such a benefit to be able to like run downstairs and feed the kids lunch and then run back up here and keep working. Of course, I am being sarcastic while also acknowledging it is a complete gift to be able to work at home. It actually is a gift to be in the same house with your family and also be able to work. But what happens is, as I'm sure so many of us have realized in the last year, if they didn't already know from working at home before the pandemic, is that work bleeds over into everything. You're always working. There's no delineation. And as much as I actually do love working at home, and I, of course, know that there are a million benefits to working at home, I have often longed for that separation of a work life and a home life, that when you're at home, you can't work like you're work stuff isn't here. Like you're only at home. You can only do home stuff and vice versa. When you're at work, you can't clean the kitchen. You are at work. (laughs) You have to work. And that delineation is amazing in a grass is always greener kind of way. So what happens is when you work from home, you don't have that delineation and it really does wear on me, even as it's sometimes a bonus to be able to quote unquote work late but still like cook dinner at your house. You know, anyway, you get it. What I'm saying is forcing myself to do an end of day close down has been not only good for me, but actually really good for my family and for my family relationships. Here's what I've been forcing myself to do. Not only am I closing out all of my tabs (laughs) or trying to, I'm also closing my computer all the way down, which I didn't used to do. I used to leave my desktop computer on all the time. I mean, it would go to sleep, but like it would always be on. So I could run in and check an email quickly. Now with closing my computer all the way down, getting my desk in sort of an order that says I'm not here out of office. When I come back in, it is an exception if I do have to quote unquote check something real quick because it's kind of a pain to have to like boot up the computer, move my desk around for a minute, like the stuff on it, in order to do something quickly. It is a deterrent to have to mess up that order because when I close my desk down, I turn the computer all the way off. And the second part of this is on my planner, and I still use a paper planner, I use a digital calendar that has events on it and and some to-dos, but I still love a paper planner. I, at the end of every day, This is the part that I meant is like sort of working 101, but I never used to do this in the same way that I'm doing it now. I make a plan for the next day. Now, why this is a switcheroo for me is, as I've talked about my morning routine a lot over the years, part of my morning routine was sitting with my paper calendar and doing my to-do list for the day. I did it in the morning on the day that I wanted to execute that to-do list. Through a series of trial and error and kind of messing around with my morning routine for the last few months and sort of realizing if it was like dragging down my energy, my morning routine, when I should really be capitalizing on sort of morning vibe, morning freshness, if you will. I've been changing up some of my morning routine things and one of them is realizing that I know better at the end of my workday, I know better what I need to do the next day. 
by the time 12 hours have gone by, let's say, and I've like had dinner and a shower and watched Ted Lasso and like slept all night and woken up and gotten the kids on the bus and whatever, when I sit down in the morning, I have a whole lot of ideas about what needs to be done that day. And it's not always totally accurate. For me, I realize at the end of the day, I know better what didn't get done, what needs to be a priority tomorrow and why, because I've sort of been in a work mode for a few hours before my close down and I like am having a better grasp at it. In the morning, the fresh morning, I'm like optimistic and I think I'm going to get 10 things done and like I want to try all these new other shiny things that I had an idea for when I was sleeping, as opposed to actually really knowing better what actually needs to be done today. Late afternoon Laura, early evening Laura, (laughs) knows better than fresh early morning Laura. And it may be opposite for you. I thought it was opposite for me because I was in a fresh, well-rested mood in the morning, but it's just not true. It's not like actually facts on the ground knowledge of what the to-do list really looks like. That comes best after living through a day. So what I do is before I'm closing down my desktop, my computer, is that I'm really organizing my thoughts for what truly needs to happen the next day. And I'm writing it in my planner if it's not already in there. I'm making some notes. One of the things that I started doing in the pandemic is putting sticky notes, each task that needs to be done and in what order, on a, one on each sticky note that I put at the bottom of my computer. And as they get done, I rip them off. So when there are no sticky notes done at the end of the day, I did it all. If I didn't get every sticky note done, then I move the one I need to start with tomorrow all the way over so I can start there. Whatever your process is, having an end of day shutdown for your work from home life can really help you feel like you're not working all the time or not working enough, which is something I struggle with both. On work from home, I either feel like all I do is work. I fit in all my work in the margins, 15 minutes here, 15 minutes there, instead of having dedicated work time which then makes me feel like I'm working all the time because I am. I'm like, my mind is partially working all the time. Or if I have decided I'm not going to work at all today, but I'm still at home in my place of work, then I feel like weird and guilty that I didn't work at all today while I'm at work, except really I'm at home. Having the end of day shutdown releases me from all of that guilt. I've shut the computer down. I am not in work mode. It is not available to me Even though the little home office area is there, the door is closed. This is one of those tips that I had heard from a million people before. I'd heard to make your plan for the next day, the night before, and I dismissed it as like, I mean, make your plan whenever you want to make your plan. Your to-do list is yours. I never really tried it myself to do it the night before this way. And also I've heard from other work from home people to really shut down your space and try to have a delineation between work and home, work time, home time, work mindset, home mindset. I'd heard all this before, but I just felt like it just didn't apply to me. That my multitasking, be able, being able to work and be at home was working for me. I liked being able to work whenever I wanted. I liked feeling so efficient with my morning routine and my to-do list optimism at 7 a.m., Only when I tried something different or really started to pay attention to what really was or was not working, did I realize that for me, it works better to make a to-do list the night before instead of in the morning. It works better for me. It really can work. It's not an impossibility to shut down your work from home space and then just be at home. I swear I had not really tried these simple things. I hadn't really given them a fair shot. And as I'm trying to be mindful, get in alignment, feel grounded, get my mind and spirit back on track after a season of struggle, I'm trying all of these things that have been popular already or that people have said worked for them. And lo and behold, like they do work. Look, I love it when conventional wisdom is like debunked or someone comes out as a contrarian and is like, what works for you doesn't work for me. Like I, I, okay, fine. But when I finally was like, I'm just going to give some of these basics a shot. Why am I the only one that's shocked when they work? (laughs) So this is me sharing the things I'm trying to be mindful of, change, pay attention to this fall 
as we go into the last three months of the year, I want us to finish strong. I want us to acknowledge and deal with our overwhelm. And I also wanted to share with you that this has been a hard season and we don't have to handle hard seasons all on our own. We can ask for help in whatever way that looks like for you, whatever would help you make that call, make that appointment, seek that advice, get that prescription, whatever it is. A thing I say really strongly about therapy in my book and that I believe to this day is that if we want to change, change is available to us, but it is not delivered by UPS onto our doorstep. It takes effort to put in the change that you want. And not only effort, it also sometimes takes trial and error because you're not always sure what change will be helpful. You're not always sure what professional or friend will give you the guidance you need. So seek the help that is coming to your mind right now as someone or something that you can call. And if that doesn't ring true for you, or if you feel like other people's opinions or guidance will muddy what you already know to be true, then sit with yourself. Ask yourself what you would tell you to do, and then do that thing. Thanks for listening to my story of struggle and seeking alignment and grounding in my life. I hope that it has been helpful to your week. I'm Laura Tremaine, and you've just listened to the 10 Things to Tell You podcast. You can find the show notes and subscribe to episode emails at 10thingstotellyou.com slash podcast. And you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at 10 Things to Tell You. Remember, this is an interactive podcast. I have 10 things to tell you, and you have 10 things to tell. So take this topic to your journal or a friend or post on social media using the hashtag 10 things to tell you. These episodes are meant to bring connection with others and ourselves and spark better conversations. Thanks for listening. Now go share something.